This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. We all know that robotics have already displaced many manufacturing jobs, but our next guest says that digital technology, robots, and globalization could combine in a way that threatens professional white-collar jobs as well as service worker jobs. Richard Baldwin is a professor of international economics at the Graduate Institute in Geneva, Switzerland. He is also founder and editor-in-chief of policy website VoxEU.org. He says government policies could shelter some of these jobs, but in the long run, people will find jobs that require the human touch. He offers strategies and advice to prepare for the coming changes in his new book, The Globotics Upheaval, Globalization, Robotics, and the Future of Work. The book is available in bookstores and online right now. And it is a pleasure to have Richard joining us in just a second to talk about this amazing uh, shift in the uh, in the business world. Uh, not only the fact that uh, that uh, blue collar jobs have been impacted by uh, the robotics industry, but more and more white collar jobs are potentially in uh, jeopardy of feeling the impact of this uh, of this uh, change in path as well. Uh, again, the book is the Globotics Upheaval, Upheaval, excuse me, Globalization, Robotics, and the Future of Work, and a pleasure to have uh, Richard joining us on the show right now. Richard, welcome. Welcome. Great to be here. Thank you. Uh, so when you think about this shift and, and the fact that it, it is impacting white-collar jobs a, as well, should we should we assume that this was almost a natural course because if it had been impacting blue collar jobs, the next step in the process would have been impacting white collar jobs as well? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very natural. But what I would rather focus on is the technology. So that what's really driving this opening up of you know office jobs and service jobs is that digital technology is getting really good and. Digital technology is, is especially important for people working in offices and things because that, that's really about information. If you're in one of the professional jobs or you have an office job, basically you're moving information around and processing it, whatever. And digital technology has really, really changed the ability to do that over longer distances. And everybody will see in their own offices how more people are telecommuting, you know, working at home. And, you know, once things get arranged so you can work from home, it's not that big of a jump for somebody to work from uh, a further away country uh, charging a mushroom of salary. Yeah, and you... So I, I think of it as inevitable. Yeah, and you mentioned part of uh, of that telecommuting uh, being a factor in this. Uh, you always refer to it as kind of a telemigration because people are going to be able to do work here in the United States, for example, yet uh, live in Germany or, or some other part of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of think that there will be I, – I mean, the biggest arbitrage or sort of the big game for your employers will be – to hire people who can do more or less what you can, but for a tenth of the price. And so those, the lot of, increasingly these uh, international freelancers or telemigrants, you know, they're going to be in developing countries. But I think there'll be a bit of a time zone thing. So I think uh, quite a few people in South America will provide services in North America, and people in Africa will provide to uh, to Europe and Southeast Asia to to East Asia, for example. So I think there is that uh, that that's where these telemigrants are going to be lining up. 
one of the things that, that you bring up from a historical perspective, which I which I found interesting, is kind of the the slowing growth that we have seen in general. And, and a lot of people will talk about it uh, in in the short term because of what we went through a decade ago with the uh, with the financial crisis and the recession. But you talk about it realistically going back to I guess the early seventies when we really started to see the rate of growth start to to slow down, and, and this being kind of an an impact of, of what we're seeing right now. Well, so, yeah, I think the, it, it's not, uh, it, the growth definitely slowed down in all the advanced economies uh, around 1970 uh, by about half. So, you know, the U.S. was growing 3-4, it started growing 1-2, Japan was growing 6-8, like it started growing 2-4, and, and so on. Um, and that, it's not 100% sure what caused that. A lot of people think of it as a, so we ran out of these uh, these famous uh, innovations like, you know, electricity and plumbing and uh, uh, diesel power. We had finally figured out all the easy ways to do that. And then once the easy stuff is gone, you go back to steadier growth. So, uh, but that, that kind of a change, uh, I think what was most disruptive about it is it started the deindustrialization of uh, the U.S. and uh, the, the rest of the the rest of the advanced economies. So the, the employment in U.S. manufacturing peaked right about that time and has been declining ever, ever since. But that was basically robot arms being replaced by replacing uh, human hands. And what was the key there was that they invented the computer on the chip in 1973. So you could put a simple computer on a robot arm and a robot could, hands could then do lots of stuff that you used to need human hands for, right. and it started automating away jobs. What jobs specifically, what sectors do you see the greatest concerns uh, of losing some of these jobs? Going forward, the uh, I think you know the easiest way to do it, you know, in my book I talk about automation of service sector jobs and professional jobs and globalization or, or telemicrant stuff. So let's just stick with the telemicrant stuff for a second. I think the easiest way to do it um, is just to look around your office and see who's telecommuting. So which parts of which jobs can be done without actually being in the office. Right. And those are the ones that are going to go first. So also, I think it's important to remember that this is not about occupations as a whole. It's about tasks within occupations. So one way to explain that is like if you think about it, a tractor. A tractor wasn't like a baby farmer who, in the beginning, wasn't good enough, but eventually would become just like a farmer. It was a very good tool, which changed the nature of the job the farmer was doing, and it meant we needed fewer farmers to do the work. But it didn't eliminate the occupation of farmers. So when you when you think about um, <clears throat> people working in accounting or pe- people working in IT or uh, p- people who are having having to do with manipulating data uh, online, you know, accounts, all that sort of stuff. Um, those are the jobs that can be automated most quickly, but things that where you can participate in a team, I don't know if you're, if you're doing the coding or the creative part of a project or uh, you know, whatever, copy editing, translating, lots of teams have remote workers and those remote workers are the ones that are going to go first. You also mentioned that that this upheaval not only is going to impact us economically, but it will also have a, an impact to our political systems as well. How so? Well, the, the, if you get it big enough, so th- this is my my concern. So I, I'm not predicting that we're going to have a huge upheaval. I'm just saying it's 
not at all unlikely that we will have one. I mean, there's right. the estimates of how much job displacement will happen. They go from scary and super fast to, you know, reasonable over a long period of time. And honestly, I, I don't have anything to add to those experts that I surveyed. And honestly, I don't think they really know. I mean, it, you're just guessing about this complex future. Right. But it is a serious possibility that the displacement will happen very fast and that these people working in offices and professional jobs will join hands with the people who have been get, got hurt by competition from China and robots in the factories. And we could have an almighty upheaval, something like the yellow vest, but just much larger and much faster. So that's what I'm worried about. Richard Baldwin is the author of the book, The Globotics Upheaval, Globalization, Robotics, and the Future of Work. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I guess, Richard, when you have the, the, the advances that we have seen in AI and machine learning, that it, it's really not a surprise that this is even a potential of occurring down the road, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So one way to think about it is all of a sudden, and we're talking about 2015, 2016, computers gained thinking capacities they never had before. And uh, the ones we've all seen, you know, they can see, they can speak, they can listen, they can generate visual output, they can uh, recognize simple patterns. You know, those are things computers could never do before. But they're critical things in many jobs in offices uh, and, and, say, service sectors like retail stores and what. You know, you needed a human to go around do the inventory because a computer couldn't go around, look at the shelf, and tell you what was there. They couldn't right. see. But now they can. And so that, that, that what essentially is we have this whole new set of capacities that are now competing with human capacities, uh, and it's, hap- it's happening incredibly fast. Amazon being one of those companies? Well, actually, Amazon is an interesting case of they, they basically are in the old business of, you know, ordering online and delivering. So much of that is very, very physical. And they use tons of AI to make it easier and find customers and whatnot. But I would have said that those, you know, those, that was not the most obvious one. And the, the workers in Amazon that are being replaced are the sort of uh, fact, you know, the, the, the warehousing kind of workers. And those are more like uh, factory jobs, so to speak. So that I don't think is so disruptive. What, what I'm thinking about is people who work in an office, say, uh, dealing with, with phone calls, with, uh, I'm sorry, phone subscriptions. So if I, if I email my, uh, per, my phone provider, which is Swisscom back in Switzerland, and I send them an email and I want to change my subscription to allow for the U.S. for the next 10 days, then there'll be a human at Swisscom who opens up my email, reads it, tries to figure out what I wanted, and opens up one database to change my subscription and closes that and opens up the financial billing database to change my billing. Now, in the until very, very recently, you absolutely needed to have a human doing that because the computers couldn't read the email and understand what I wanted. But now there's a whole thing called robotic process automation, which is kind of like digital knowledge workers. And the, the computer opens up the email, reads it, understands what I want, opens up the database, changes the subscription, closes it, changes the financial database, et cetera, all without humans. And it does it 100 times faster and with fewer errors than the human. So it's, it's replacement of jobs like that, which I think are going to go fastest. And, and it's not so much 
uh, Amazon, a lot of the things we see in the newspaper uh, are, are based on physical robots. And the stuff yeah. that's really going to change the most jobs, it's like software robots. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. Richard Baldwin joining us on the phone, the author of the book, The Globotics Upheaval. Again, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney 21. You do, you do say, though, that some of these jobs, though, will be sheltered, uh, at least in the short term? Yeah, so there, when you think about <clears throat> what jobs uh, will be replaced and which ones won't, what you've got to really focus is on what a artificial intelligence cannot do. Now, what, what, there's a, a bunch of reviews of workplace capacities that AI can do. It was a very good one done by McKinsey Global Institute last year. And it, if you line up the capacities which, it's, which AI is very good at and, and say where it's less and less good, and you squint your eyes, it's sort of like the most human tasks at, are the ones it can't do. So motivating people, managing people, pro, uh, providing creativity, dealing with unknown situations, applying ethics, things like that that require uh, a really a human touch or human uh, talent, that's, those are the things that AI can't do. And if you have a few seconds, I can explain the yeah. basic underlying problem where AI has. So yeah, go ahead. This, um, this new way of, AI, of computers learning to think is all based on machine learning. You know, fundamentally, what machine learning is, is programming computers in a radically different way. So before, when we programmed computers, say before 2016, you had to know step by logical step what it should do in every single situation. And you were just writing down a set of instructions for the computer to follow. Now, with machine learning, they don't do it that way. They take a million observations of, let's say, a cat's face mm-hmm. and uh, 10 million non-cat's faces, and they estimate an enormous statistical model using super amounts of power to, for it to guess. It uses hundreds of thousands of clues to guess what is a cat and what is not. Now, that model is so complex that even the AI scientists don't understand what exactly it's using to identify the cat. And that's a, how we, that's how our brain works for many things. So, for example, if, you know, if I, I can tell you how I calculate a 15% tip, but I cannot tell you how I can recognize that the thing I'm looking out my window now is a car instead of a bus. So that, that, that new capacity all depends upon that big data set. Right. And those big data sets, the question has to be clear and the outcome has to be clear. Now, think about your job. What parts of your job are the questions not clear and the outcomes not clear? That's what's going to be sheltered from AI. Uh, we're joined by Richard Baldwin, who's the author of the book, The Globotics Upheaval. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, I wanted to ask you about something. You had m- mentioned a variety of areas where impact could be felt. You mentioned journalism as well. And because of the fact that I'm in, in that in that realm, how, how do you see uh, journalism being impacted? Well, there's already a number of programs that are called uh, robo-journalists. So, for example, the Wall Street Journal uses one called Helolex. And uh, it's used quite routinely in reporting sports scores and stock market 
results uh, and, and especially election results when there's like thousands of news stories that come in at the same time. So they have more or less a template where there's a great big database say, on election results, and then this uh, artificial intelligence machine generates stories for each and every district in a, in a very quick way. And the same is with the, the sports stores and the stock markets is they get they take data off of a, a general feed and then they turn it into a story using artificial intelligence. That, that's that's one of them. Uh, another one would be like uh, re- research and background and uh, talk, talking to people. Um, those are those are some of the things that are going to be replaced. But 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 some also, of, some of that industry though still would require human thought to to be able to process some of this some of this. And, and I would imagine that there are a lot of sectors where even though that there is going to be an impact, there is an element of human thought that would still need to play in. Correct? Yeah. Right. So that was that's exactly what I was trying to get at with this. It's, it's jobs, not occupations. So think about your job as a great big chore list. Now, some of those things are very robotic and routine, and eventually a computer will automate those for so you won't have to do that anymore. And some of the things you do don't actually require you to be there, and if it's separable from other things you're doing, then a telemigrant will help you with it. So it's almost every job has something where it requires a real human to be there, and what I'm trying to push in my book is that people ought to look at their own job, their own list of chores, and see which of it could be automated by one of these machine translation things, which of it could be replaced by somebody on a Skype screen sitting in the office next to you, and what you ought to focus on is getting good at the stuff that neither of those can do. In the jobs of the future, we'll be doing what telemigrants can't, and we'll be doing what AI can't. So we ought to think about what they can't do and focus our talents on on uh, building talents and things that they can't do, which is, like you said, you know, managing humans, for example, that, that yeah. they're not very good at. It, but that would also lead me to believe that that people not only need to be aware of all of those factors, but uh, it also could lead to quite a, a shift uh, by some people wanting to to change their job because if, if they realize that, that they are in a position that could be automated quite a bit, the last thing they would want to be is, is you know, is, is without a job uh, some point down the road, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So there are, <clears throat> there are, there are uh, you know, uh, jobs where this is going to come faster and sooner and harder, and that, those are not the jobs you want to be in. Um, but the, the, uh, the kind of idea you should move out is is a good idea it's a good thought but when, when i think it's about is it's got more to do with what we should be getting our children to do and train for we want to make sure they don't train for jobs that are very very quickly going to disappear but people who have jobs yeah you got to think you got to think about moving into different things sheltered jobs so then that also, what you just mentioned right there, that leads you to believe that there, there's an element of focus that needs to be on the education in our country and around the world as well as to what we are teaching our kids, what they may be studying in college, so they actually are prepared. Yes, absolutely. So that's the last part of my book, and I, I talk about uh, one of the key rules about uh, getting ready for this is the, the old rules don't work. So the old rules for dealing with globalization and automation uh, were get more skills or education and training. So almost universally in Europe, the United States, uh, in families all over the world, they say, well, our kids got to get more education 
so they can survive this um, and thrive in this world of, of globalization. And that won't work because the reason that worked is essentially globalization and automation only worked in things like manufacturing and farming and mining, things, industries where you actually do things. But the more education you get, the more likely you're going to end up in a profession where automation was not working and there was no globalization because of technological barriers. And so that was a, a, not a bad idea for the last time, but this time you're going to have to be a little bit more subtle. You can't just say get more skills. It's going to have to be which skills. So in particular, we're going to have to think about human, more human skills, softer skills. Of course, everybody will have to have a minimum of digital you know, fluency and um, literacy, but you know, most of the young people already have that. That'll be the table stakes in, in the future market. But after that, managing people is much less replaceable than, for example, um, drawing uh, architectural plans or, um, you know, looking through legal documents and trying to find evidence. Those are things that robots are starting to get very good at. And uh, so, so just getting enough education, more education is not enough. You have to focus more on the human skills, I think. You also uh, mentioned, Richard, in, in the book, you talk about Brexit in here. And I'd be interested yeah. to get your thoughts on, on how Brexit has been impacted by some of what you talk about in the book. Well, I think the way I think of it is that the, the kind of last two decades of automation and disruption from China and ro industrial robots, that left a lot of bitterness and fragility and vulnerability. That was especially um, piled up in certain areas in the U.S. and the U.K. And that that kind of discontent and anger and fear at an individual level, but also at community level, that I think is what gave um, rise to this populist backlash. It was, you know, like I say, say in the United States with, with uh, President Trump, they gave the Republicans eight years to fix it, and nothing happened. The wages continued to stagnate. Opioid crisis continued. They gave the Democrats eight years to fix it. The wages continued to stagnate. Jobs start, industrial jobs continue to decline. So, you know, at some point you go, well, why not? Let's, let's try this outsider who's promising the moon. And I think the same thing was with Brexit, that they, or in essence, are lashing out in anger due to a base of discontent. Now, when I think about this, this base of discontent is why the second word in my title is upheaval. So we're starting this new fact of job displacement and disruption. Um, at a moment when things are really not so rosy, especially in the United States and Europe, and if, if there is this extra shock, I'm a little worried that this would, uh, more than a little worried, that this could lead to a, a pretty important social back evil. Let me, let me talk about how it's getting into the presidential campaigns, if you'll let me. Yeah, we've got about two, so, minutes, two minutes left, Richard, if you can. To, right. So uh, it's already, I believe, this anti-tech backlash kind of worried about that's already getting into the presidential campaign. There's one a fringe candidate called Andrew Young, who very explicitly is anti-technology and disruptions of jobs and all sorts of things. Um, I don't think he will have any chance whatsoever, but the themes, I think, will resonate and get picked up by uh, other Democratic candidates. Richard, great to have you on the show today. Thank you very much for your insight and all the best with the book. Thank you very much. Thank you. The book, again, is The Globotics Upheaval, Globalization, 
Robotics and the Future of Work. Richard Baldwin from the Graduate Institute in Geneva joining us on the phone uh, to talk about his book, which is available in bookstores and online right now for your purchase. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.